Hi everyone, welcome to Humans Behind the Business Podcast. It's Anna, and today again we have special guest Chris Choice, an entrepreneur, but not a usual entrepreneur. He started his entrepreneurial journey at very early age. Despite challenges, obstacles, he made a lot of success, and his current challenge is to help beginners to take the right decision at the right moment. Today. Will help us. He will share with us his story and his tips to be, maybe to try, to be a successful entrepreneur. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Chris. Welcome with me into Humans Behind the Business Podcasts, and uh, I'm glad I'm having you today. I hope you're doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Anna? I'm I'm good. I'm excited for the for our podcast. I know it's going to be a great episode for my audition. You can say it like that. I'm sorry for my English. Sometimes it's not that good. It's good. But I'm trying. But I'm trying. It's okay. Positive attitude. Absolutely. Tell me, why did you accept my invitation? I accepted your invitation because it was extremely thoughtful in the way that you present it. I think that you know the inspiring of other people. The motivation of other people is one of the greatest gifts that pretty much everyone has that not many people choose to exercise. And I think it's an important thing, important, important, important to do that. And so that's that's why we replied back. That's why I replied. Thank you. I'm glad. And I know that people who listen to I would be glad. I know. I'm sure of that. Sure. Anyway, I introduced you as an entrepreneur. Are you okay with this identification, if you can say? Uh, absolutely. I'm proud of that. Uh, entrepreneur is, I think, the best description ever. Absolutely. How, uh, how did you start being an entrepreneur? For, from the get-go, I, I started <laughs> out at an early age. I mean, I was selling uh, burpee seeds door-to-door when I was six years old. So those are like uh, seeds for flowers and vegetables and stuff like that. That was my first business, although I don't count it as one of my businesses. It was one. It was my first business. That's how I really got started. Started. And did you earn money from the business? Oh yeah, yeah. It was in the back of a comic book. I sent my five dollars in uh, to get these burpee seeds. I, I received fifty of them, uh, and then basically the idea was you go door to door or whoever, and you sell uh, each of them for a dollar. So I made forty-five dollars. I grossed fifty on uh, that sale. So that was a good return. That was a ten, almost a ten x return. Actually, it's very interesting because it's like taking me to my next question. Sure. Do you think? That entrepreneurship is something we can learn, or like something it's like uh, inner in ourselves. Sure. Well, I've seen two different types. Okay, there yeah. definitely is a category of people that that they just do it almost in a way. It's DNA. It's the way they're wired. But as to the part that can anybody do it, I fundamentally believe, and I don't know if you can see the goosebumps going on, but I fundamentally believe that anybody can be an entrepreneur and a successful one. Uh, it's a matter of just almost in a way taking the leap, taking the risk, uh, paying the price of it in terms of the learning curve, and anybody can do it. It's just a matter of hard work and iterating and never giving up. I mean, you'll hear me say that 
over and over and over again. It's really a function of never giving up and you'll get there. Actually said that, like you mentioned that the, the word risk and I think, I think it will be that like managing risk is the maybe the most important skill that anyone in any field could have. Do you think again, it's something we can learn? Yes, but also let me say this. Yeah. Risk by economic definition with an entrepreneur, I come from an Austrian economics background. All right. So what that means is that to me, the entrepreneur is the one that takes risk. They are the ones that really are taking the most risk. Now, you may have an entrepreneurial team, at which point, you know, all those team members are entrepreneurs. Uh, you may have an entrepreneurial company uh, where, you know, the company in many ways, shapes and fashion are taking risk. But can a person learn to mitigate that risk? Yeah, but usually those are managers uh, in terms of being able to take on risk. And almost in a way, I don't want to say blindly, but with the full knowledge that chances are it's going to fail at first. That, that's, that's the entrepreneur's role. That is the entrepreneur's role in the economic creation of entities and, and products and services and everything else. We are, by definition, the risk takers. It's, um, it's, um, there, there is a book, I don't know if you heard about it, it's uh, Play Your Skin of Nassim Taleb, I think. He's a Lebanese-American philosopher. Okay. And he, he was like... A, taking deep this this like this notion of risk i i recommend really this book it's really really interesting but entrepreneurship is like kind of we have to to have like kind of some knowledge to start doing things for example if you want to be an entrepreneurship digital one you should like maybe know some code or like whatever did you try to learn about entrepreneurship for example Did you went maybe to college or to school? Did you did you, did you take a, a monitor for a moment or something like that? Well, I started working at, at an early age. I mean, business for me was was to get out there Spontaneous. and do it. So you can always read about it. And, and you know, there were books that inspired me at an early age to do that. Um, and I was reading economics books at an early age. So I was reading von Mises and, and Kersner and Hayek and all these other things at an early age. But really, it was being out there doing it that, to me, was the best educator. So whether it was, you know, flipping pancakes at Kenny's Cakes and Steaks, or whether it was being the head houseman at Marriott setting up conference tables, or working at Arby's, you know, at the front counter, you know, serving people of all different types, I always felt that by doing was the best way to learn about it and the fastest path. Uh, and actually, gave you the most value because you learn immediately what's important and not just by being in the market itself. It's interesting, but like, um, there's something that happens very usual, usually in the entrepreneurial life. And it's like a failure. We all know failure. And sometimes in some cases we aren't like prepared to failure. I mean by that, that's doing entrepreneurship without like having any background. I know it's like the fastest way could like lead us to the failure quickly. You can say, 
No, right? you don't think that? Well, I, I think this, I, I think I view failure maybe a, a little bit differently. Failure to me is, is part of the process. It, it, they're stepping stones. Failure doesn't mean that it's an end. Failure is an indicator to maybe keep going. Failure is an indicator that maybe you have to sit at that spot for a period of time and let good luck find you. Failure means to iterate. Failure means to bring other people into uh, whatever it is that you're doing. Failure means to maybe create a different branding voice, a different marketing angle. Yeah, but, failure but means that, to try. But all of that need, yeah. need uh, money, investment. No, they don't need money. You don't need money. Yeah, we need money to live, to exist. Well, that's different. Yeah. Yes. Going ahead and having your basic expenses covered is fundamentally requisite to going ahead and living in modern times. So yes, you have to have your basic expenses covered. For a business to go ahead and require money at the beginning stages is absolutely asinine and the exact wrong way of creating a business. And, and I'd be happy to go into that or, or however you want to lead in because you don't, you don't need money to start a business. Yes, you need money to go ahead and live, but you don't need money at all to go ahead and start, at least until about the $10 million in sales volume. Level. How can we start a business without any money? Sure. Well, the first thing you got to ask yourself is this. If you had all the money in the world, what's the first thing that you're going to spend it on when you're creating a company from the ground up? And if I ask that question in front of an audience, public speaking, I say, well, what do you need the money for? And all the hands go up and the voices start screaming out, uh, people. Uh, the vast majority of the money is for the expertise of other people to go about doing your business. Well, long before you had venture capitalists uh, and long before you had angel investor groups and long before you had incubators and accelerators and all this specialized way of creating starting businesses. Well, there was something called collaboration and getting buy in from people to, to get the company off the ground. And when you're able to attract people into your company from the very beginning with nothing, that chances are that that entity that's built is actually going to end up being better. Because what you end up doing is creating typically a sustainable company almost from the very beginning. And by sustainable, I mean it's generating revenue. It's going ahead and providing what's requisite. I know. I know that you... But how? you, you no, I know that... All your answers are like uh, you, you have like uh, experience, and you're talking from experience. It's that. What are you working on on Gasher with entrepreneurs? Yeah. Well, well. Let me explain that real quickly. Okay. Yeah. So. Gusher itself, it's a platform to launch companies without the need for capital, without the need for investors. So what happens is people join companies in exchange for performance-based equity. Nobody gets a damn thing in the company unless the company is able to take off, able to reach its goals, able to succeed. So what I usually say to founders is, what would you do if you had a million or two million in the bank account right this second? What type of company would you build? How would you do it? And then gusher that because we do it all day long. Everything from B2B, B2C, B2B2C, and everything in between. From consumer goods, manufacturing, SaaS, fintech, AR, VR, AI, gaming, medical devices, prop tech, you name it, we've got it. 
But more importantly, what happens is when you create a company like this without putting the money forward, we've got greater than an 80% success rate where these companies become self-sustaining and or attract larger scale capital. And that's fundamentally different than going out there and begging venture capitalists where your chances of getting capital are less than one in 700 to maybe one in 3,500 actually get funded. It's a way to get going today with nothing. Thank you, Chris. And now we go to second part when we will talk a little bit more about you. Are you reading? Doing fine, doing great. <laughs> But are you ready to the kind of much more personal, professional questions? Sure. Yeah, of course, you are always ready anyway. But tell me, like, to choose a specific project, what makes you excited for? It's something new, uh, something that hasn't been done before. Uh, that's what I seek. So I don't like to do something that's been done before. I never do really the same thing twice. Uh, and if it's something that's in an existing industry, I, I try to do something radically different. I, I never like to do the same stuff. Actually, I have like some reviews from like very successful people that like uh, advise beginners or people like uh, in like in general way to just copy a business and to try to make it like kind of a little bit different. Sure. What do you think? What do you think about that? I think, for, yeah, sure. I think for the vast majority of people, that's good. I think if you ask, you know, there's always a, a statistic that floats around that if you ask owners of businesses um, what separates them from their competition, something like 70, 80% of them say nothing, nothing separates. There's no points of differentiation. But, you know, I always think they're missing the one point of differentiation that's obvious And that can separate them from everybody else. And that's their DNA. Their DNA fundamentally is different. Uh, they bring that to the table with their business. So do I think, and I was just on the, uh, in a meeting before this with an, an entrepreneur, and he's like, I don't have any great ideas. I see these ideas that are out there that other people are doing. And I'm like, well, just bring your own DNA to the, the thing that you want to, and that'll make it different or different enough in many ways for most people. I don't think like we are talking about the same thing because my, my uh, because actually my question was like, how do you choose a project or maybe how can you validate an idea or something like that? And you asked me about the human being and its uh, DNA. I think it's like two different things. Do you, don't you think? Wait, so you're asking about like how, how an entrepreneur, like what they should listen to or how they go ahead and determine whether they should do an idea? Actually, it's like kind of a general question. It's okay. more about um, how, like at what moment do you start maybe yourself to say this idea or this product is the one? Well, no. first of all, I don't necessarily think there's always just a one. I, for, for me, it's a series of ones. But I think there's an idea for right now, uh, whatever it is that I'm working on. And, and I do it. Uh, it's, it's a very simple thing. And I may have said this before. My apologies if I have. 
but literally when if you wake up thinking about the idea, if you go to bed sleeping uh, right before you go to sleep and you're thinking about the idea, if you wake up and you're looking in the mirror as you're brushing your teeth and you're thinking about the idea, if when you talk about the idea or thinking about it, you're smiling or you lose track of time, you know, all those things are very big green lights or green flags to move ahead. Uh, that's the one thing that you should be listening to is your internal voice, even if all the external voices are telling you the idea is bullshit or crap or whatever it may be. Uh, it's fundamentally as an entrepreneur, you need to listen to that internal voice. Yeah, but do you think you have to listen to only and only this this uh, internal voice? Because like you, when you will buy, you know, or you will sell, I'm sorry, sell your, your products, like you will sell it in a market and sure. the market like a, like it's a lot of internal voices <laughs> of, of course but but you're asking regarding starting so, you know, in terms of starting and creating an idea, yeah, I think that you have to. Otherwise, you're not going to be in alignment with yourself. And so when you try to serve a market before even being tied in some way to, to your core person, to what you're doing, I think that you can't bring 100% to the table. And I think that bringing 100% effort and focus to a project is almost always required to bring it to life. Uh, creating a company, being on, an entrepreneur is not a passive ende endeavor. It's not something you can do as kind of, hey, a part-time effort. When you're bringing an idea to life, you are all in or you are dead. I mean, it, it's as simple as that. Now, yes, you can scale, you can iterate, you can do it in increments, you can phase into it, but really your focus has to be part, I think, of your being. I think it goes hand in hand with who you are, part of what you are, uh, and, and the passion will come later, but that action has to come first. That action and taking that action with full focus. I think it's an extremely important. It's it's like very interesting because, because you talked about passion, about uh, focus and about iteration. And yep. I think it's like very, very interesting because today we um, like there is like a um, lot of people was were like uh, talking about this building in public notion. I don't know if you are interested by this. And they are talking about like uh, trying and iterating with customers online, let's say. Yeah. It could be digital, it could be like a much different uh, product. Did you try this like during your journey in entrepreneurship? Oh, absolutely. I mean, with one of my companies, and it's going to be a simplistic example, uh, but we were a manufacturer of low-carbohydrate food products. Even that company, which wasn't necessarily a high-tech, uh, let's say, just software-oriented company, we did six, seven, eight different packaging iterations and product iterations in the first 12, 15 months. I mean, it's constantly iterating, listening to the public, listening to what the markets are telling you, and seeing what works. I mean, but at the same time, the core reason I started that company is I wanted a fucking low carb blueberry muffin because I was on a low carb diet for years. <laughs> so there was an internal reason why I wanted that company to exist desperately. You know, making it make money, <laughs> making it make money is a different story. I could be one of your customers. Like I didn't know about that, but like, I'm really interested by this kind of <laughs> product. Sure. Uh, like I, like I noticed that you worked on very different fields, like uh, it's various. What was like the most important or exciting project did you work on? 
I honestly think it, it's the one I'm working on now. I mean, Gusher by far is the most interesting because it's just idea after idea after idea. It, it's like being a an engine or a, a star creator. You're not just dealing with one star or one planet. You're kind of like this this galaxy that's just giving birth to stars over and over and over. Uh, and that's what I like about it. It's all different types of companies, all different types of founders, all different types of ideas, all different types of iterations, scenarios, you name it. That That's what I live for. I love that stuff. It's, it's interesting. We talk about Gasher like in the first part, but maybe can, can we like describe Gasher as like coaching service? Maybe. No. Absolutely no. not. No. I hate coaching. <laughs> Why do you hate coaching? Uh, because I'm not really a coach. I'm more of a dictator. Mentor. So I tell oh. people what to do. Whether or not they do it is a whole nother story. Um, coaching is, is, is a really hands-on bringing out, you know, hopefully the best in a person and finding the way to talk and communicate to them. I think in the best way possible to bring out the best case scenario. Do I do that with founders? Yeah. I mean, I do that all day long. Is that what Gusher is, though, at its core? That's part of it, but that's not really, it's not coaching. I mean, it's really. But do you know that, like, there is a lot of people who need only coaching because sometimes they people think that. have, they think that, I don't know what they really need, sure. but sometimes uh, we need someone or like a mentor, for example, to just bring us to what we want. Because life is like diverse. We could be taken by any, by anything. I think. And sometimes like it's important. No, don't you think that coaching is, could be important to some, like, I think it's, I think it's definitely important to a lot of people. I think that the impact that it has being a mentor, being a coach can have extraordinary impact. Okay. I personally, I never had a mentor. I never had a coach. So it was going to the furnace willingly and come out the other side. But with certain people, even to this day, I'll do certain things for them. I'll send them something. I'll call them up randomly. I'll do a text, whatever it may be, just to, lack of a better phrase, give them a kick in the ass because that's what they actually need. All right. They don't need to sit there and have their hand held and commiserate and, and everything else. What they need to be reminded is of who they fucking are. Uh, and once they're reminded of who they are, then they get back on the damn road and start doing what they should be doing. You know, I fundamentally believe, Anna, that as entrepreneurs, we are gods. I mean, I really do believe that. I believe we create our own reality and our own outcomes. And as a God, we're not sitting there feeling sorry for ourselves. We're out there creating the goddamn impossible because that's what we do. And so I remind them of that. You always uh, give uh, interesting answers, and I, th- I, I, I have like spe- specific questions because, Shoot. like you, you said, that entrepreneurs are gods. Yep, I'm okay with this. But do you think that all people could be gods? Or yes. Entrepreneurs? Yes, I fundamentally do. But here's the problem: they don't yeah. listen. They, they they don't listen to the inner voice. Uh, and, and because it's um, for me, it's about uh, confidence, and it's about like building this confidence, and it's also about managing failures. And confidence, it's, it's confidence. Hold like, up, risky thing, you know. Confidence, passion, success, 
all these things come after action. They are post-action. As an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneurial God, if you want to say it, all right, and I say that tongue in cheek, but I really do believe that, okay, in many ways, because we create. Uh, The founder has to overcome all these mental obstacles, has to overcome all these external voices, has to overcome just the, the facts of life and take action. Action is what gets rid of all the anxiety. Action is what gets rid of all the imposter syndrome. Actually, action is what gets rid of that failure eventually and then leads to success. It's just taking action. It's not sitting there each day and making the decision, should I or should I not do this? Do I or do I not do this? When you decide to go down the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial road, decide once and then just do it. There's nothing else. It's not complex. It is the easiest hard thing there is to do in the world. You just decide it and then do it. I, I would like to play the role of the, the person who have like obstacles and will ask you some questions. Please. Actually, someone who never like been an entrepreneur, for him, not me, entrepreneurship is like uh, the opposite of peace. Are you okay with this? Absolutely. It is, it's yeah. conflict and it, it, it's a fire. I mean, I really okay. do believe it's, it's just like being yeah, in an oven. That's the first point. The second point is like for those people um, facing, uh, you can say like fear is something that like um, consume a lot of energy. And when we, can, we have the couple like lake of peace and consuming a lot of energy, it becomes uh, impossible. That's why there is a lot of people that enjoy maybe being, for example, uh, an employee, but I'm not like talking about high skilled employees, but really employees in specific like uh, employment, uh, I don't know, places or something. Comfortable. Yeah, this, this is the word. What do you think about that? And how can you, for example, today with maybe Gusher, um, help those people to get uh, rid of uh, those ideas? Because the- Sure. The, well, yeah. I mean, the, the comfort situation is this. If a person's comfortable, they're not going to do a damn thing, period, uh, under any condition. If a person is comfortable in their life and they have a comfortable scenario, that by definition, If they're wired for that and it feels fine, they have no motivation to go ahead and do anything different. It's actually discomfort. Uh, it's actually being uncomfortable uh, that uh, that leads to actually entrepreneurship. It's something is wrong. Something is something needs to be solved. It's something that as an entrepreneur, it bugs you. Uh, it's the exact opposite of being mentally calm. It's something that that gets on an entrepreneur's nerves. It it drives them batshit crazy, or or they see an opportunity there they want to take advantage of, and and they're driven by it. You know, I don't sit there going, "Hey, let's go home and." watch TV and then get my eight, 10 hours of sleep and do whatever. That's not, you're not an entrepreneur if you're wired that way. You just aren't. However, if you have an idea, if it's something that you can't let go of, if it's something that, that makes you smile when you think about doing it, if it's something that makes you feel horrible when you think about not doing it, then you should investigate doing it and go down that road. 
And so, yeah, we, we help entrepreneurs and founders to be able to do that, to be able to do that without having to spend their whole damn life savings, without having to go out and try to find venture capital, without having to go out there and kiss somebody's ass uh, for 12 months uh, and not get anywhere doing it. I mean, that's it's about taking action. With Gusher, you can take action from day one, you know? I didn't know it before now, but now I know. I may be interested by using Gusher. I think entrepreneurship is also um, to be able to take a decision and to take the right decision at the right moment. Yep. How, how do you manage that? Well, the first thing is you have to understand that a lot of your decisions are going to be the wrong decisions. So in many ways, no, I'm serious. So, you know, you emphasize taking the right, making the right decisions. You, it's like muscles again. You get better at it. Um, you're not supposed to be making all right decisions in the beginning. That's what comes with, with experience. It's what's called wisdom. It's dealing with the scenarios before. It's dealing with the different outcomes and what happens. That's why you get better at it with time. In the beginning, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. It's what I call the entrepreneur's education. Uh, usually that education costs physically about a million bucks in failure until you have that entrepreneur's education. And then you're, 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 you're through the furnace and now you know what the hell to do. You know what to do in the scenarios because you're more of a veteran. You get better at it, you know? But, but you know, like, after all, we are human beings and yeah. we have like some moments when it's like uh, complicated, when you take like, for example, 10, Uh, 10 bad decisions like for your business or for your family or for whatever like at a, one moment at one point you feel like uh, I, I messed up and I, it's it's bad the situation becomes bad and I think for that we have as young beings first to try to find that balance how do you because I, I know like you're a very energetic person but how do you um, work on finding that balance? Well, there's two balances. With, with the decision-making, this is the thing. The vast majority of decisions, whether they're right or wrong, are not going to be terminal. It's not something that's going to kill the company. So yes, there are decisions that will. Don't get me wrong. Okay. There, there are, sometimes there are some very bad decisions, but usually that's a series of bad decisions. You know, almost any decision that's wrong can be corrected. You know, from let's say you hire the wrong person, you know, two weeks in, it can be corrected. Fire the person. Don't make the mistake again. Uh, you go ahead and deal with a, a large supplier, which will remain not an, a large distributor, which will remain nameless. And they don't pay you for 120 days. Well, guess what? Don't do business with that type of company. Do business with people that pay you up front or within 30 days and allow you to expand. There's things that, that you learn along the way, you know, and part of, of, of business and entrepreneurship Like anything in life, you're going to suck at it in the beginning. And then you're not going to suck at it so much as you start going further. And then you're going to actually start getting good at it. It's just a process. You trust the process. And you trust also that I am enough. You have the skills right now. You have everything, all the tools you need to be an entrepreneur. Otherwise, the universe wouldn't make sense. You have everything that you need right now. You really do. Thank you. I know, Chris. <laughs> it, it was a joke. Um, I know. 
<laughs> you get used now. Uh, like there is in the life of an entrepreneur, like uh, there is a, uh, a moment when he, he or she starts to be an investor. I think like it's kind of important step because it could help the, like uh, the entrepreneur to 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 have this basic need basic needs, for example, paying bills or whatever. Sure. But like how or what can you advise um, to entrepreneur uh, in this uh, case? How can they maybe start investing or whatever? Is my question clear? Well, do you mean like, like with an entrepreneur, their dollars investing or an investor investing in what no, they're their, doing? their dollars invest, invested. This, this is the thing, okay? Anything that you invest in yourself, you're never going to regret. So that's number one. I mean, investment in yourself is a long-term thing. It's not something that necessarily has to be payable. But let's say you're an entrepreneur and you're starting out and you have bills to pay. You have you have things to cover. You have expenses. You have, you know, you have a, a rent. You have your electricity. You have your food. You have whatever. You have to set the standard extremely high from the beginning. What do I mean by that? I mean that your standard when you start a business or invest and create a business in any way, shape or fashion is that it has to be self-sustaining almost from the get-go, meaning that within 15, 30, 60 days, whatever time frame you have there, you don't want to use your entire financial cushion to get there. And you don't really want to use your own money. You typically want to create a model that is self-sustaining from the beginning in some way, shape, or fashion, because then that can, can be you, scalable and lead to something else. Yeah. Can you give an example of like sustainable model? Sure. I mean, if that costs nothing. Sorry. Do you, do you mean a sustainable model that costs nothing that you can start right now? Yeah. Okay. Let's take a simple thing. Uh, and, and this is not what I'm saying to do, but it is. So let's say um, you're going to go ahead and clean uh, houses, uh, the, the inside of the houses. You're a house cleaner. But a clean inside a house is going to cost you $50 of materials. It's going to cost you some flyers. You walk around, you put them on the cars. Next thing you know, you have a couple jobs. You're charging $50, $100, $300, a house, apartments. You have a clientele. You start bringing on other employees that you're subcontracting out for $15, $20, $25 an hour. You're now taking half the profit on that. You expand further. You can actually turn that into a substantial business. I mean, you really can, to this day, take something as simple as house clean. With something like a tech business, that's fundamentally maybe a little bit different. So in that case, you would typically create a product that's called an MVP. I don't mean minimum viable product. I mean market viable product. So what I mean is that when you start creating the MVP, the market viable product, the, the goals that you set out from the very beginning are not to find product market fit like you always hear, but to actually go ahead and create a product, whatever that product is, to attract the low-hanging fruit to generate money almost from the very beginning with the first iteration of that product. So it mean, means that you're creating a simpler product. It means that you're addressing, hopefully, a, a market that's more zealot-like, that they need this problem solved in some way, uh, and it's low-hanging fruit. You can monetize it from the beginning. Anything more is a waste of time. You're going to be dead in the water and out on the street. But you have to set the standard high from the very beginning. Yeah. 
it's important. There is something else like today people are working on and it's like building an audience before building a product. Did you think about that? Building what? Say that again, the first word. The building an audience. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we teach is we always go ahead and say build the community almost from the state from step one. So as you're building your MVP, as you're doing your product, you always build the community from step one. Why? Well, the reason is fundamentally that you'll then have an audience to go ahead and launch into that's a warm market. So instead of creating a product and treating it like linear development, where you create the product, now you got to go ahead and figure out the marketing, then you launch into the marketplace, then you hear crickets and it's cold and you're not getting any sales. The whole point is to bring people into the development process, the creation process. We call it showing the sausage being made. So there's a certain group of people that like to see the sausage being made. And usually those people are the early adopters, the people that are interested in that product, just, excuse me, interested in that service. And so if you bring them in, you have the social going on, you have the videos of what's going on, you have blogs, whatever it may be, you're introducing them to that product all along it as you're developing, and then you have a warm market to sell into. You definitely did, want to do did that. Did you try this with one of your products? I did it with a lot of products and we actually do what we did it with our low carb. We did it with, uh, um, we did it with Sim. Uh, we did it with uh, happy Howl. We do it with almost all our companies. It's core to what we do. That's one of the first things we do because it doesn't cost anything. You have to understand exactly. that doing it at that stage is the most important stage because even if it's just a couple people, those couple of people lead to a couple more, you're not going to get massive amounts of people, but you get the right people from the beginning. I am like 100% okay with, with this way of thing, but sometimes like uh, the the real beginners, like people who are trying to start uh, entrepreneurship, like at 20 or 21, 22, whatever, like are like kind of shy. They have kind of difficulty to talk. Not, not It's not in public because it's not talking, maybe writing in public and publishing, sure. sharing what they are working on. And it could be like really, um, uh, how can we say that? Like a blocking thing, you know? Right. How, like, what can you say to those people who are like not courageous enough to share or build in public? I'll give you an example. Okay. So I had a company called Movi. All right. Long before there was Snapchat, before there was Instagram. Uh, before there were these other systems, and it was a video messaging platform, okay? We got all the patents on it, everything else. To this day, all those companies are violating it. But anyway, so we had it where one of the problems we had in the beginning stages is people didn't really feel comfortable sending video messages, all right? But we noticed that there was a very specific pattern. When people got past sending about 30, 35 video messages, like I send you a video message, person sends it back, send you a video message. When you got past 30 or 35, it became second nature. It's like they knew how to hold the light automatically. They knew how to talk without even thinking about it. It became like a natural thing, a natural way. So what I say to people that are that are, are internally motivated, are introverts, uh, that are not necessarily extroverts, is that you're never going to feel comfortable being, you know, extroverted as you're doing this, but just doing it a little bit 
that that massive stuff, the massive discomfort goes away, a lot of it. There's always going to be a portion of discomfort there because of how you're wired as an introvert. But believe it or not, I'm an introvert. I know you may, may find I that. Am I'm an introvert, except with business. So I'll be the guy standing against a wall at a, at a party doing nothing, all right, unless it's business oriented, then I'm talking to everybody. But as an, as an introvert, all you have to do is take that risk, do it for a period of time, and you'll see. You'll see the, you'll see the results, and the results should be able to keep you moving. That's all I could say is try it. Thank you very much, Chris, for this like very rich answers and all what you did you share today with us. I will go to the, my quick questions. It's my sure. last uh, stop in this uh, episode. Do you prefer in person or virtual? In person, every time. Why? I'm feeling Because better now. No? Just like you and I here, okay, like we have a, a certain thing. We see each other. There's certain body yeah. language, okay, that exactly. even when you're in person, there's just more of that. So communication is just better. It's deeper. Um, it's no longer just a function of – it's kind of like comparing texting to, a, to asynchronous video, asynchronous video to synchronous video, which is what this is, and then synchronous video to live. They're just – they're variants. Nothing beats live ever, ever. Okay. Short term or long term? Short term or long term? Long term. Every time. Individual or team? <sighs> that that like pains me to answer. If and I'll tell you why. As as if it was earlier in my career, I would be like individual, individual, individual. And as I've gotten older, I realized that as an individual leader, that you can still think that in your head as an ego thing, but it really is about the team. It's, it's 100% about the team. Exactly. I'm okay with that. Innovative or traditional? Innovative. Los Angeles or Dubai? <sighs> it's all taxes, you know. <laughs> I've lived in LA. I know what it's like. Um, I'm going to say LA, I'm going to say for one reason why in and out burgers, well, two reasons in and out burgers and Wiener schnitzel. So <laughs> I'm going to stay Los Angeles. That's okay. how I lived when I lived there. Okay. Summer or winter? Summer every time. Pizza or burger? You, you had me at pizza. Don't even go any further. Coffee or tea? Coffee, 100%. Books or movies? Movies. Early morning or late at night? Early morning. Really? I expected late at night. I do both. I don't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you get like enough rest. To... I think you get enough rest. Thank you, Chris, for your time. I really enjoyed this episode and I'm sure that people will enjoy as well. I hope you did. And uh, thank you for sharing information about Gusher. I think it's really, really good product. It's going to help a lot of people to start and to be like uh, with the, the good collaborates, operates. Do you have something to say before? Ending? I'm now thinking I should have said Dubai instead of Los Angeles, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't expect that. Actually, it was great. Actually, the, I, I would say Dubai, but I don't know. I've never been in LA, actually. I cannot like choose now, but I think 
Actually, what I like in Dubai is safety. You can yeah. just let your phone on a table and you can go back and find your phone. And see, what I like about LA is that it's not safe. Yeah, um, I've never been there, but I'm sure that Dubai is good choice. It's also good just for taxes, but like, it's more Absolutely. about safety, I think, because I'm Mormon or something like that. Okay, thank you, thank you. My pleasure. I really, yeah, I really uh, enjoyed this episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome, always.